Chapter Five of the Spanish Brothers by Deborah Alcock. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter Five: Don Carlos Forgets Himself. A fair face and a tender voice had made me mad and blind. E. B. Browning. Don Carlos Alvarez found Alcala, after his brother's departure, insupportably dull. Moreover, he had now almost finished his brilliant university career. As soon, therefore, as he could, he took his degree as licentiate of theology. He then wrote to inform his uncle of the fact, adding that he would be glad to spend part of the interval that must elapse before his ordination at Seville, where he might attend the lectures of the celebrated Fray Constantino Ponce de la Fuente, professor of divinity in the College of Doctrine in that city. But, in fact, a desire to fulfill his brother's last charge weighed more with him than an eagerness for further instruction, especially as rumors that his watchfulness was not unnecessary had reached his ears at Alcala. He received a prompt and kind invitation from his uncle to make his house his home for as long a period as he might desire. Now, although Don Manuel was highly pleased with the genius and industry of his younger nephew, the hospitality he extended to him was not altogether disinterested. He thought Carlos capable of rendering what he deemed an essential service to a member of his own family. The family consisted of a beautiful, gay, frivolous wife, three sons, two daughters, and his wife's orphan niece, Doña Beatriz de la Vela. The two elder sons were cast in their father's mould, which, to speak truth, was rather that of a merchant than of a cavalier. Had he been born of simple parents in the flats of Holland or the back streets of London, a vulgar Hans or Thomas, his tastes and capabilities might have brought him honest wealth. But since he had the misfortune to be Don Manuel Alvarez, of the bluest blood in Spain, he was taught to look on industry as ineffably degrading, and trade and commerce scarcely less so. Only one species of trade, one kind of commerce, was open to the needy and avaricious but proud grandee. Unhappily, it was almost the only kind that is really degrading, the traffic in public money, in places, and in taxes. A sweeping rain, leaving no food. Such traffic was, in truth. The government was defrauded, the people, especially the poorer classes, were cruelly oppressed. No one was enriched except the greedy jobber, whose birth rendered him infinitely too proud to work, but by no means too proud to cheat and steal. Don Manuel the Younger and Don Balthazar Alvarez were ready and longing to tread in their father's footsteps. Of the two pale, dark-eyed, sisters doña inez and doña sanchez one was already married and the other had also planned satisfactory to her parents but the person in the family who was not of it was the youngest son don gonsalvo he was the representative not of his father but of his grandfather as we so often see types of character reproduced in the third generation the first conde de nuera had been a wild soldier of fortune in the moorish wars fierce and fiery with strong unbridled passions at eighteen, Gonsalvo was his image, and there was scarcely any mischief possible to a youth of fortune in a great city, into which he had not already found his way. For two years he continued to scandalize his family and to vex the soul of his prudent and decorous father. Suddenly, however, change came over him. He reformed, became quiet and regular in his conduct, gave himself up to study, making extraordinary progress in a very short time, and even showed what those around him called a pious disposition. But these hopeful appearances passed as suddenly and as unaccountably as they came. After an interval of less than a year, he returned to his former habits and plunged even more madly than ever into all kinds of vice and dissipation. 
His father resolved to procure him a commission and send him away to the wars, but an accident frustrated his intentions. In those days, cavaliers of rank frequently sought the dangerous triumphs of the bull ring. The part of matador was performed not as now by hired bravos of the lowest class, but often by scions of the most honorable houses. Gonsalvo had more than once distinguished himself in the bloody arena by courage and coolness, but he tempted his fate too often. Upon one occasion he was flung violently from his horse and then gored by the furious bull, whose rage had been excited to the utmost pitch by the cruel arts usually practiced. He escaped with life, but remained a crippled invalid, apparently condemned for the rest of his days to inaction, weakness, and suffering. His father thought a good canonry would be a decent and comfortable provision for him, and pressed him accordingly to enter the church. But the invalided youth manifested an intense repugnance to the step, and Don Manuel hoped that the influence of Carlos would help to overcome this feeling, believing that he would gladly endeavor to persuade his cousin that no way of life was so pleasant or so easy as that which he himself was about to adopt. The good nature of Carlos led him to fall heartily into his uncle's plans. He really pitied his cousin, moreover, and gladly gave himself to the task of trying in every possible way to console and amuse him. But Gonsalvo rudely repelled all his efforts. In his eyes the destined priest was half a woman, with no knowledge of a man's aims or a man's passions, and consequently no right to speak of them. Turn priest!' he said to him one day. "'I have as good a mind to turn Turk. "'Nay, cousin, I am not pious. "'You may present my orisons to Our Lady with your own, "'if it so please you. "'Perhaps she may attend to them better than to those I offered "'before entering the bull-ring on that unlucky day of St. Thomas.' "'Carlos, though not particularly devout, was shocked by this language. "'Take care, cousin,' he said. "'Your words sound rather like blasphemy.' "'And yours sound like the words of what you are, half a priest already,' retorted Gonzalo. "'It is ever the priest's cry. If you displease him, open heresy, rank blasphemy, and next, the holy office and a yellow San Benito. I marvel it did not occur to your sanctity to menace me with that.' The gentle-tempered Carlos did not answer a forbearance which further exasperated Gonsalvo, who hated nothing so much as being, on account of his infirmities, born with like a woman or child. "'But the saints help the churchmen,' he went on ironically. "'Good simple souls, they do not know even their own business. Else they would smell heresy close enough at hand. What doctrine does your Frey Constantino preach, in the great church every feast-day, since they made him canon magistral?' the most orthodox and catholic doctrine and no other said carlos roused in his turn by the attack upon his teacher though he did not greatly care for his instructions which turned principally upon subjects about which he had learned little or nothing in the schools but to hear thee discuss doctrine is to hear a blind man talking of colours if i be the blind man talking of colours thou art the deaf prating of music retorted his cousin come and tell me if thou canst what are these doctrines of thy Frey Constantino, and wherein they differ from the Lutheran heresy? I wager my gold chain and medal against thy new velvet cloak, that thou wouldst fall thyself into as many heresies by the way as there are nuts in Barcelona. Allowing for Gonsalvo's angry exaggeration, there was some truth in his assertion. Once out of the region of dialectic subtleties, the champion of the schools would have become as weak as another man, and he could not have expounded Frey Constantino's preaching because he did not understand it. "'What, cousin?' 
he exclaimed, affronted in his tenderest part, his reputation as a theological scholar. Dost thou take me for a barefooted friar, or a village cura? Me, who only two months ago was crowned victor in a debate upon the doctrines taught by Raimondus Lullius? But whatever chagrin Carlos may have felt at finding himself utterly unable to influence Gonsalvo, was soon ineffectually banished by the delight with which he watched the success of his diplomacy with Doña Beatriz. Beatrice was almost a child in years, and entirely a child in mind and character. Hitherto she had been studiously kept in the background, lest her brilliant beauty should throw her cousins into the shade. Indeed, she would have probably been consigned to a convent, had not her portion been too small to furnish the donative usually bestowed by the friends of a novice upon any really aristocratic establishment. "'And pity it would have been,' thought Carlos, "'that so fair a flower should wither in a convent garden.' He made the most of the limited opportunities of intercourse which the ceremonious manners of the time and country afforded, even to inmates of the same house. He would stand beside her chair and watch the quick flush mount to her olive, delicately rounded cheek as he talked eloquently of the absent one. He never tired of relating stories of Juan's prowess, Juan's generosity. In the last duel he fought, for instance, the ball had passed through his cap and grazed his head, but he only smiled and rearranged his locks remarking as he did so that the addition of a gold chain and medal spoiled cap would be as good or better than ever then he would dilate on his kindness to the vanquished rejoicing in the effect produced a tribute as well to his own eloquence as to his brother's merit the occupation was too fascinating not to be resorted to once and again even had he not persuaded himself that he was fulfilling a sacred duty moreover he soon discovered that the bright dark eyes which were beginning to visit him nightly in his dreams repining all day for a sight of that gay world from which their owner was jealously and selfishly excluded. So he managed to procure for Doña Beatrice many a pleasure of the kind she most valued. He prevailed upon his aunt and cousins to bring her with them to places of public resort, and then he was always at hand, with the reverence of a loyal cavalier and the freedom of a destined priest, to render her every quiet unobtrusive service in his power, at the theatre, at the dance, at the numerous church ceremonies, on the promenade, Doña Beatrice was his especial charge. Amidst such occupations, pleasant weeks and months glided by almost unnoticed by him. Never before had he been so happy. Alcala was well enough, he thought. But Seville is a thousand times better. All my life heretofore seems to me only like a dream. Now I am awake. Alas, he was not awake, but wrapped in a deep sleep and cradling a bright delusive vision. As yet he was not even as those that dream, and know the while they dream. His slumber was too profound even for this dim half-consciousness. No one suspected any more than he suspected himself the enchantment that was stealing over him. But everyone remarked his frank, genial manners, his cheerfulness, his good looks. Naturally the name of Juan dropped gradually more and more out of his conversation. At the same time the thought of Juan faded from his mind. His studies too were neglected, his attendance on the lectures of Fray Constantino became little more than a formality, while receiving orders seemed a remote, if not an uncertain, contingency. In fact, he lived in the present, not caring to look either at the past or at the future. In the very midst of his intoxication, a slight accident affected him for a moment with such a chill as we feel when, on a warm spring day, the sun passes suddenly behind a cloud. His cousin, Doña Inez, had been married more than a year to a wealthy gentleman of Seville, Don Garcia Ramirez. 
Carlos, calling one morning at the lady's house with some unimportant message from Doña Beatrice, found her in great trouble on account of the sudden illness of her babe. "'Shall I go and fetch a physician?' he asked, knowing well that the Spanish servants can never be depended upon to make haste, no matter how great the emergency may be. "'You will do a great kindness, amigo mio,' said the anxious young mother. "'But which shall I summon?' asked Carlos. "'Our family physician or Don Garcia's?' "'Don Garcia's, by all means. Dr. Cristobal Losada. I would not give a green fig for any other in Seville. Do you know his dwelling?' "'Yes, but should he be absent or engaged?' "'I must have him, him and no other. Once before he saved my darling's life. And if my poor brother would but consult him, it might fare better with him. Go quickly, cousin, and fetch him in heaven's name.' Carlos lost no time in complying, but on reaching the dwelling of the physician, he found that, though the hour was early, he had already gone forth. After leaving a message, he went to visit a friend in the Triana suburb. He passed close by the cathedral, with its hundred pinnacles, and that wonder of beauty, the old Moorish Giralda, soaring far above it under the clear southern sky. It occurred to him that a few aves said within for the infant's recovery would be both a benefit to the child and a comfort to the mother. So he entered, and was making his way to a gaudily tinseled virgin and babe, when happening to glance towards a different part of the building, his eye rested on the physician, with whose person he was well acquainted, as he had often noticed him amongst Fray Constantino's hearers. Losada was now pacing up and down one of the side aisles, in company with a gentleman of very distinguished appearance. As Carlos drew nearer, it occurred to him that he had never seen this personage from any place of public resort, and for this reason, as well as from slight indications in his dress of fashions current in the north of Spain, he gathered that he was a stranger in Seville, who might be visiting the cathedral from motives of curiosity. Before he came up, the two men paused in their walk, and, turning their backs to him, stood gazing thoughtfully at the hideous row of red and yellow San Benitos, or penitential garments, that hung above them. Surely, thought Carlos, they might find better objects of attention than these ugly memorials of sin and shame, which bear witness that their late miserable wares, Jews, Moors, blasphemers, or sorcerers, have ended their dreary lives of penance, if not of penitence the attention of the stranger seemed to be particularly attracted by one of them the largest of all indeed carlos himself had been struck by its unusual size and upon one occasion he had even had the curiosity to read the inscription which he remembered because it contained juan's favourite name rodrigo it was this rodrigo valer a citizen of Libricia and seville an apostate and false apostle who pretended to be sent from God. And now, as he approached with light though hasty footsteps, he distinctly heard Dr. Cristobal Losada, still looking at the San Benito, say to his companion, Yes, senor, and also the Conde de Niera, Don Juan Alvarez. Don Juan Alvarez? What possible tie could link his father's name with the hideous thing they were gazing at? And what could the physician know about him of whom his own children knew so little? Carlos stood amazed and pale with sudden emotion. And thus the physician saw him happening to turn at that moment. Had he not exerted all his presence of mind, and he possessed a great deal, he would himself have started visibly. The unexpected appearance of the person of whom we speak is in itself disconcerting, but it deserves another name when we are saying that of him or his 
which if overheard might endanger life, or what is more precious still than life. Losada was equal to the occasion, however. The usual greetings having been exchanged, he asked quietly whether Signor Don Carlos had come in search of him, and hoped that he did not owe the honor to any disposition in his worship's noble family. Carlos felt it rather relief under the circumstances to have to say that his cousin's babe was alarmingly ill. "'You will do us a great favor," he added, "'by coming immediately. Doña Inez is very anxious.' The physician promised compliance, and turning to his companion, respectfully apologized for leaving him abruptly. "'A sick child's claim must not be postponed,' said the stranger in reply. "'Go, Señor Doctor, and God's blessing rest on your skill.' Carlos was struck by the noble bearing and courteous manner of the stranger, who in his turn was interested by the young man's anxiety about a sick babe. But with only a passing glance at the other, each went his different way, not dreaming that once again at least their paths were destined to cross. The strange mention of his father's name that he had overheard filled the heart of Carlos with undefined uneasiness. He knew enough by that time to feel his childish belief in his father's stainless virtue a little shaken. What if a dreadful unexplained something, leaking his fate with that of a convicted heretic, were yet to be learned? After all, the accursed arts of magic and sorcery were not so far removed from the alchemist's more legitimate labors, that a rash or presumptuous student might not very easily slide from one to the other. He had reason to believe that his father had played with alchemy, if he had not seriously devoted himself to its study. Nay, the thought that had sometimes flashed unbidden across his mind, that the El Dorado found might, after all, have been no other than the Philosopher's Stone. For he who has attained the power of producing gold at will may be surely sad without any stretch of metaphor to have discovered a golden country. But at this period of his life the personal feelings of Carlos were so keen and absorbing that almost everything, consciously or unconsciously, was referred to them, and thus it was an intense wish sprang up in his heart that his father's secret might have descended to him. Vain wish! The gold he needed or desired must be procured from a less inaccessible region than El Dorado, and without the aid of the Philosopher's Stone. End of chapter 5